Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I am the pastor at the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and um, we are really thankful to have the opportunity to reach out to each of you in this way and uh, to share the word of the Lord together. I want to make a very important announcement for our Saints Network family, and that is that uh, a little over a month from now, we will be gathering here in Dallas for our spring seminar. This year it is entitled Understanding the Times. And I believe that it is going to be one of the most consequential gatherings we as saints have ever known together, and we've known many of them. So we would encourage you to make plans to come and be with us. But whether you are going to be traveling here or whether you plan to join with us excuse me, online, we would strongly encourage you to register. You can go to our Saints Network website and register online. That capacity is now up and functional, and it would really be beneficial for us and for you to do this. And so, again, please register and Please um, please be prayerful about what your participation will be in this coming gathering. We are in an information age unlike any that the world has ever known. You know, as you study the history of mankind... You know of a lot of different events that threw forward communication. And therefore, from that point, the world was never the same. I could go over an entire list of them, but the printing of the Gutenberg Bible, uh, that was a major advance forward in communication, affected the world from that point forward, changed the world. Alexander Graham Bell inventing the telephone. Um, Marconi with the the wire of uh, Morse code and uh, the ability then to broadcast and radio. the, the list goes on. Satellite communication, cell phones, computers, all having to do with communication. And I can't envision right now the next breakthroughs in communication, but with each stride forward in creativity and, and in inventiveness, the world has changed. And I would dare say that recently, it's not been for the better. There's, there's a battle for communication, access to what information should be out there and what should be restricted. There is a battle for the training of not only our young people, but of the indoctrination of men and women and what will go out, what will be blocked, and what training um, will go into the framework of how people will live, what they believe, and what they will do on behalf of one another and really on behalf of God. Um, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but information really is power. Good information, bad information. 
And, you know, I I was watching recently, this this past number of days, the the news regarding the truckers' convoy in Canada. And um, I I was watching the way that the Canadian media and some of our some of our left leaning media were describing what was happening there and it was uh, in their in their view right wing insurrection um i heard the prime minister of canada say yesterday that these were alt right extremists waving swastikas and confederate flags then you look on social media at the actual footage of what's going on and you hear the uh, the interviews with people who are there in the trucks and it's anything but what is being communicated uh and i i think the power of propaganda now you take that a step further to what is the information that God is revealing from his word as opposed to the the teachings that Satan is releasing pertaining to the spirit realm. And therein is a true battle that not only is indoctrinating people, but it is welcoming spiritual climates and atmospheres um and and it it is really an unparalleled moment uh, the the things that are being openly taught i'm not even talking about the the things of moral depravity that are being taught in our schools and welcomed in society and put out over the airwaves for anyone with a with a communication device in their hands, no matter their age, to pick up and see. Uh, I, I'm talking about things that are being taught regarding the dark arts and the the dark realm. The that the scripture says the bathos of Satan and his teachings. That has infiltrated many denominational churches, forming um, forming its own type of, of gathering known as churches. And the evil and the wickedness that not only is indoctrinating people, but instructing many in ways of the demonic and then to our topic of the day the things that are generated by such pursuits the atmospheres in the spirit realm now this is not something that is normally taught in mainstream christianity because first of all there's a lot of deniability Secondly, there there have been, dare I say, kooky teachings that that were out there that were um, in some ways heretical, I think in a lot of ways just innocent idiocy. And um, the, the modern church strays away from that. But as we learned a long time ago as saints, anything from the scriptures that goes away from the established ground foundation is immediately debunked and driven away as being unscriptural. So I, I can't say that that the uh, the mainstream church is is the greatest litmus of what is scriptural and what is not. They have a hard time um, separating scripture from tradition. And in many ways, they're like Pharisees. 
who have a, a rudimentary truth that they build a lot of walls around and they consider all of it to be God's truth. And what that creates is a false righteousness, according to what Jesus says, and really an environment wherein the blind are leading the blind, which means they're not seeing clearly. And people are off track and falling and uh, being deceived. So I've heard teachings in the past about spiritual atmospheres, and I, I scratched my head and wondered, wait a second, where is that in the Word? I mean, you can talk about spiritual things, and you can lay out lots of different things from experience. And, of course, as our brother Bill Speckin says, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And that's true. I mean, if some, regardless of the, the type of experience... You know, if it's pleasurable or if it serves your purpose, that that's a rock-hard pedestal that you build things on. But you know, I remember once hearing a lady that I trusted as she was teaching, and all of a sudden she took a hard turn off the path and started talking about principles regarding atmospheres and spiritual realms, and I thought, what in the world are you saying? This is not based on anything you've experienced in intercession or anything that is in the scripture. In fact, I'm wondering where in the world you got this. And I did inquire later on, not immediately, because she didn't say anything that was 666-oriented. Um, but I inquired, where did you get that teaching? And she told me that she heard it from some other preacher who had heard it from somebody else and and the problem with what i heard was that first of all it was not based on scripture and several of the planks within its platform were absolutely not scriptural and so the the idea of the way the enemy moves and the term atmospheres has has been relatively um, confused. How about we say that? Even though we've all felt them. Sometimes you come into a church service and you just feel things differently. There, there's a different feel there. God is present and manifesting himself in a new way. And it doesn't have anything to do necessarily of whether the person was uh, ha was having a good day or whether they really had a good cup of coffee or uh, they were in a good mood. Sometimes people associate the presence of God with how they're feeling. <laughs> now, granted, if they're feeling right, they may open themselves up to the Lord. Subsequently, if they are in a crisis, they may open themselves in the Lord. That doesn't necessarily mean there's an atmosphere uh, of any spiritual import that's different than what was there a week ago. But, you know, the, the point, though, is that the Bible does speak about atmospheres. And we, we touched on this a little bit. This past Sunday and yesterday during Saints Radio, when we were speaking from Revelation 2 regarding the church at Thyatira, and particularly in, um, in that wonderful teaching, and you should listen to it again, it's, it's available on our website, uh, but in verse 24... The Bible says, and this is the Lord speaking, But unto you I say, to the rest in Theatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and the doctrine is didach, which is an ongoing teaching. It's not necessarily a logismos, which is a foundational belief. It is like a... Um, 
an evolving progression of teaching. Um, and and he was speaking about the the doctrine uh, that Jezebel, the influence of Jezebel, was uh, loosing upon those that would be led into um, a worship of the enemy kingdom. So he says, as many who are not a part of that doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan, and there is bathos. We're going to talk about depths here in a moment in connection with the didache. I will put upon you none other burden. Now, burden there is baros. It's where in extension, we get our meteorological term barometer. It speaks about pressures. It speaks about the depth of pressure, a weightiness, or even a height. And a barometric pressure is something that you'll hear when you, very often, when you watch a weather broadcast. And it speaks about the, uh, in layman's terms, it speaks about the the amount of moisture in the air and the heaviness that is there. It also speaks about pressure systems. It describes pressure systems that even that either welcome um, high pressure, which is going to bring heat, or low pressure, which could bring rain or or precipitation. But pressure really describes in our weather systems what is going to happen in the atmosphere that then welcomes weather as it manifests and then affects our life on earth. And um, I think that's very important for us to see because Jesus says that there is a link between the teachings, the ongoing teachings of the demonic system, the bathos of Satan, the, the depth that that Satan is wanting to um, present in the world, and the effect upon the church at Theatira, as well as the demonic realm, of, of a baros. And that is the closest term in the New Testament, probably in the Word of God, to what we would say an atmosphere is. So, before we look at a couple of passages where baros is used in the New Testament, let's just reiterate the context that Jesus was talking into and what what is um, how it applies to us. The church at Thyatira was... Um, a very industrious city. It it was uh, creative. It affected the really the, the entire known world with the things that came out, particularly with dyes and fabrics and uh, different types of uh, clothing materials and innovations in in apothecary science, and that's uh, what we would call pharmaceuticals uh, they they were really an innovative people and subsequently they they were setting the curve um, with what every nation was wanting yeah you know, I, I saw a story the other day about a man that was cultivating purple dye from uh, snails a particular type of snail and that dye, was worth $2,500 for um, uh, between a gram and an ounce. And it was just more valuable than gold, much more valuable than gold. And for a society that didn't have those kinds of capacities, 
uh, readily available. They didn't have the internet. They didn't. <clears throat> they didn't have the Gap or any other kind of uh, place. They didn't have CVS and Walgreens on every corner or in the grocery store. I mean, a city that had this kind of capacity was boy, it was an amazing place. So they drew in a lot of workers. They 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 were almost like forgive me for this equation, but they were almost like Silicon Valley. The brightest, the best young people would come there to work and to learn. Um, you know, you see China doing that to us for the past sixty years or so. Um, sending their young people, their students, to be trained here to take our technology back. This was going on around the world for Thyatira. And, you know, we, we studied about uh, Lydia, which is interesting. She, Her heart was open to the Apostle Paul's ministry, to the, to the work of the mysteries being birthed into the church. But she was a seller of purple. Her name, Lydia, you know, the Lydian Empire was was an ancient name for all of that area of Turkey where these seven churches of Asia was. So she not only was from there, she was named after that region. But that city was filled with all kinds of people like this. And subsequently, the demonic realm was there. Jesus talked about the Jezebel influence, that virginal influence that was dedicated to Baal. And it was it was teaching and promulgating wicked things. And there was there was a heightened measure of insight and innovation and creativity and invention, but it was also there in the in the in the demonic realm. And Jesus said, you know, you you've allowed You've allowed this to uh, to permeate the church. You've you've allowed wickedness. You've allowed um, you've allowed foul things uh, to to be there, and you you've you've really not countered it with the good. Uh, you've 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 allowed it to coexist, and so. Uh, we see that today. There's a battle for our young people. We, there's a battle for our college-age students, and we're right now we're losing it. Um, we laugh about in the last elections about snowflakes. Well, guess what? There are snow drifts that are hard to to melt. They're still there, and the the ideologies are not wholesome. And, and it's opening the door. See, see, what happened was you had these ideologies of liberal thought and atheistic thought and communistic thought. And the next thing that happened was the religions of the world started coming in. And then soon people thought, well, we can't trust Christianity. It's too restrictive and every truth is God's truth. Let's just welcome these other religions. And then the next step is, well, let's just talk about the uh, the fact that God is in everything and uh, the doctrines of devils started to flow in. And before you know it, you have entire churches now that are filled with young people who believe that wickedness. I won't even call it nonsense. It's wickedness. And subsequently then, those types of things keep leading people into greater depths of gross darkness and it touches an atmosphere it creates and welcomes an atmosphere just as um, the bible says where strife is there is every evil work well where this false teaching is and 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 how it is engaged with the bathos of satan there is a wicked Barros. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. There's, a, there's an attachment there that should be up for you to access if you've not already done it. But uh, we're going to look at some of the places that Barros is used in the New Testament, this atmosphere. But I remember talking to you and to my congregation in particular 
about a couple of years ago when I started sensing things in the spirit realm, even being here at the church before, just when the, the COVID pandemic was starting to cause people to go crazy and shut things down and restrict travel and just the, the all the different quote-unquote sciences that were being thrust upon people. That was kind of like the subterfuge by which uh, people had their minds affixed to either sucking it up or going against it. But this atmosphere of the demonic was just beginning to permeate. Now, it could have been partly helped by winds of fear, uh, hopelessness, but at root, it was something that the enemy was releasing, and it, it was captivating. You could feel it come in, and it, it, it tried to affect, if you weren't really careful, any area in your life that was vulnerable through iniquity, maybe un, unbelief or maybe uh, unforgiveness or maybe anger or maybe some area of wounding from your past. It was almost like bitterness uh, on steroids. And this atmosphere permeated. You could You could just sense it. It would come on. And you you really had to withstand it. And you had to recognize what it was, not partner with it, and um, counteract it. And, and I believe that through doing that, we became strengthened. In some ways, we would become inoculated against it, but... You had to really recognize it. And I, I believe that it came because the enemy was being able to um, utilize a, a, a large swath of people to not only receive the depths of Satan, the bathos, but because then that was being taught and readily accepted many times in the name of the Lord, and it created this measure of a burden, a weightiness that was not wholesome. You know, in, in Romans 11, this is not on your sheet, verse 33 the Apostle Paul said that there is the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who, who has known or who is willing to know the mind of the Lord <clears throat> to engage in enjoying his counsel? Um, but but here you see the the bathos the the depth of the riches of wisdom and, and knowledge here you have um a direct connection between depth and understandings depth and counsel in the spirit realm You remember that the Apostle Paul spoke in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. He was talking about how that he had received visions and many types of understandings from the Lord. And and in there in verse 7, if I recall correctly, it says, due to the abundance of apocalypsis, there was given a messenger of Satan to buffet. Um, the... The, the abundance there is hyperbole, which literally means to throw forward something, to throw beyond. 
uh, and I know that's a, a term that is used in, uh, in linguistics, but literally it means to throw beyond in conjunction with the apocalypsis, the over, the overarching eternal plan of God that is being revealed. And wherever that is happening, you're going to you're going to affect the spirit realm. And there there was the enemy coming to why would the enemy buffet to stop, to attempt to stop the going forward of the mysteries of God. And this is a harassing, haranguing, uh, but it was in conjunction with the ongoing revelation and moving forward in the things of God. So that is a depth. It is a foundation. And um, there, 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 are, there are other passages that speak about what depth means, what bathos means. But this is something that is the root of a doctrinal position, the root of something that is understood, and it it happens in God's economy, as we've just quoted from the Scripture, but it also, according to Jesus, is emulated by the demonic. So you have the depth of Satan, you have ongoing teaching, um, doctrines, ongoing teaching of that. You have the Jezebel influence that is recruiting, as Jezebel did in the days of Ahab and and, uh, um, Elijah, um, prophets and prophetesses of Baal and Ashtaroth, and Baal is really the supply of the world system. You have that all right there. Jesus is the one that's talking. So you have Jezebel recruiting. You have the the bathos of Satan. You have the ongoing teaching of this. And um, even if you're not receiving it, there is the burden of that 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 atmosphere creates. And it's not just, boy, you know, it just depresses me to, to see what's happening to our country. Well, that's true. There is a depressing influence when you recognize that this wickedness is just being openly spoken about. And, and, and it's not just that, you know, you're, you're trained in this way and you just do dumb things. How frustrating is that? Not only for the people, but for all of us that have to tolerate it. Of course, that's there. You, you you get angry when you see people that are just fomenting this and teaching it and then attacking those who point out its fallacy and then attacking the truth and then accusing anybody who speaks the, the real truth of being any number of uh, horrific things to try to buffet them, to shut them up so that a new truth can take its place. I'm not even talking about all of those things, as frustrating as they are. I'm talking about this spiritual atmosphere, this burden, this barrows. Now, in 2 Corinthians, and it's there, it's just one of the verses that's listed for you, uh, chapter 4, Beginning at verse 16, we read this. For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight, barrows, of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, 
For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now here we have this atmosphere, this atmospheric term, being attached to the glory of God, and then also the further clarification of things that are not seen, that are eternal, that are existing around us right now. So the glory of God is also described as a baros, an atmosphere. In the Old Testament, of course, the kabod, the kabed, which is a weightiness, but it basically is an atmosphere. Now, what is the glory of God? We've studied this in the past. It's not just feeling an atmosphere. This, this term describes it, but it doesn't really say what it is. It just describes it. It's the, the atmosphere of the glory. The atmosphere itself is not the glory, but the glory is characterized by this atmosphere. In the Old Testament, again, it was seen as a fire, um, and it it regularly was uh, the glory was regularly attributed to God doing a new thing according to His eternal purpose, and also the covering that was upon the person or the people who represented that move of God. That is the glory. It's not an emotion. It's not a good feeling, even though it is does feel good. But the true measure of the anointing, uh, of the glory of God, it's, it's going to weigh on you. It... it yeah, it's going to touch on every part of who you are. And you're, you're going to, you're going to react to the glory. And it, it, it may not be pleasurable. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's a heavenly experience but it certainly makes everything of this world seem frivolous and and um uh, and really not worth as much and that's that's an interesting that's an interesting thing to say the least so there is a weight, an atmosphere of glory. I, mean, I know that one of the popular things in our travels in Europe is to, there's two things that will really draw a crowd. Well, there's more than that. If you do anything messianic, it will draw a crowd. But if you talk about healing, or if you talk about the glory, and you put that, in any of your announcements, that's like ringing the dinner bell. Johnny, time for dinner. Get on in here now. And they'll line up. And, and they think that the glory is just whatever experience um, that is, that is uh, enjoyable. The presence of God. They sometimes confuse the presence of God and the blessing of God with the glory of God. And that's a misnomer. I love God's presence. I, I love God's blessing. And God is everywhere. Hear me now when I say this. But the, the, presen the, the manifested presence of God is not necessarily his glory. And the blessing of God being communicated is not necessarily his glory. 
And people being healed, as wonderful as that is, is not necessarily his glory. But when the glory of God comes, you find people on their face, whether they want to be that way or not. And and there are there are dimensions of of weightiness in the enemy camp as, where he emulates. He said he would be like the Most High, and it's it's a very interesting thing to read about what happens. And I, I had to read this for some teachings that we did at a, uh, at our last seminar about what's going on in many of the progressive churches. And it's it really is, in, in many ways, scary to read about what goes on in places that openly go after the depths of Satan. And they, they don't... Now, they're Satanists, yes, but these people are truth seekers <laughs> and they go after demonic things and the the manifestations that happen what goes on in people's lives there there is a weightiness of the demonic that changes people forever and that pressing upon them uh, i i think that when jesus speaks in uh, I, well, when he preached his first sermon and quoted Isaiah 61 to lift the heavy burden, it, it most likely is speaking about a, a, an anointing that breaks off that kind of demonic push. I, <laughs> we're going to see a lot of things in the days to come with uh, regard to the glory of God. And there, there, there are going to be, uh, dare I say this, please give me a little latitude, there's going to be a battle of the glories. <laughs> you know, the, the, the darkness and the gross darkness that the Bible speaks about, but the light of God shining upon his people, gross darkness is very likely this manifestation of what the darkness of Satan manifests in the weightiness of the atmosphere of Satan. The darkness upon the earth grows darkness the people, but my light shines upon you. We're going we're going to see this. But we're we're feeling the the beginning points of it now. And um, we have to realize that the weight of, of, of God's glory is far more exceeding than anything the enemy has. Far more exceeding. Read it there, 2 Corinthians 4. And, and it is eternal. There was nothing before it. There will be nothing beyond it. And... We, we need to keep our eyes focused, not on things that are temporal, but on things that are eternal. Matthew 20, verses 9 through 16, uh, speaks about the tail end of Jesus' parable about the harvest. And you remember this story about the... Uh, the people that are working and uh, time is going by and the master of the harvest goes out to people who are standing idly in their histeme and he brings them in and then he goes out again and brings them in, he goes out again, he brings them in. And then at the end of the day, um, you have everybody receiving a penny which is the wage for that kind of work. And the, the, you have the people that had been there all day saying, after they'd seen these other folks that came in at the 11th hour get the same amount of money, they said, 
These have worked for only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, which have borne the burden, Baros, and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I've not done anything wrong to you. You agree with me for a penny. Take what is yours and go your way. I will give unto this last even as unto you. It's lawful for me to do what I will with my own. Is your eye evil because I'm good? The last shall be first, the first shall be last. Many will be called, few will be chosen. A lot of stuff there in that passage. And I think maybe it's it's a word for us saints who've been at it for a while. In another passage, Jesus spoke about the harvest, the wheat, and the tares. And Jesus clearly said, the field is the world. Um, the, the good seed is God's people. The bad seed that grows tares is, are the wicked ones. And, and this, this really does speak about the end times. We have been walking according to the burden of the Lord, this atmosphere that has been glorious, the atmosphere of his glory. But it it can be, it, it's cost you. It, it's worth it, but it's cost you. What, what, what did you negotiate with God for? You wanted to serve him. What a glorious privilege that is. What did he offer you? Himself. His presence. The privilege of partnering with him for the kingdom. The privilege of doing the works that need to be done for the night is coming. And the problem with that is spoken of here is that the people that come later are are and commit themselves to God are going to get all of those things. And a challenge we have, and the enemy will foment this if he can, so we have to be really watchful, is that people that come in later um, are going to reap the benefit of things that you pioneered and that you labored in when they were off doing silly things or playing around or whatever they were doing. And they'll come in, God will put them to work, and he loves them. And so we have to not let our eye be evil. The enemy will, again, these atmospheres will provoke jealousy, envy, one of the things we learned open uh, initially bef- regarding those who, who didn't really have any interest in going deeper in the Lord was that it was about their position and their power. They didn't want that threatened. Now here God's moving and you're doing something else. We've lost our position. You know, we don't know what to do with that. And, and we've said in the past that they, very often the people who were the main the main speakers of the last move are the enemies of the current move. And it's about power and place and probably pride. Those three Ps, friends, listen to it. We've got to be careful with this. And I know it feels weird. I mean, we hear that Rick Pino song and it's about the pioneer Others will come. They'll do things quicker and faster. Where they've been all this time, we don't know. But you got to really watch your thinking about that. In some ways, it's kind of like what Saul experienced with David. And I don't want to go down that trail. Everybody likes to glorify David, and God bless him. Uh, he did great things for the kingdom. But he also did some things that really were not that wise and in, in regard to um, 
what his place was in the authority structure. But Saul was there. He had his problems. He didn't do what he should have done. But here comes David, and everybody is just rejoicing over him. It caused Saul to do things that he shouldn't have done. You say, well, I would never be that way. Really? So, we've been walking in the glory. We've been doing the work of the kingdom. Our privilege is is serving the Lord. That's our reward. And when other people come and they start doing the work that God has called us to do, we should rejoice that we have help. Because... And we should rejoice that other people are actually embracing what it is that you have labored to dig into the depths and bring forward and and to, to welcome the atmosphere. There's a reason that that word is used. And it doesn't just say, man, it's hot out here today. We've, we've been working all day and it's just so hot. Let's keep going here. There's one other passage we wanted to look at, um, and that is in Galatians 6. Brothers, if a, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are pneumatic cost, or you which are really devoted to the things of the Spirit, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burden. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now, wait a second. We've talked about this in the past. How can you bear one another's burden when everybody is supposed to be bearing their own burden? And the word burden here is baros, an atmosphere. You've got to function in the atmosphere that God gives to us. And this idea of um, helping somebody else to bear their atmosphere makes a whole lot more sense as you're told to bear your own atmosphere, because if you're a spiritual pneumaticus person, it's the same atmosphere in the Lord. If if you're there with a brother or a sister, and you're you're laboring for the kingdom according to God's glory, what He's assigned you to do, and we as the saints have the best. Uh, it just is the best. Because it's scriptural. It's it's the best. It's the end time group. Um, the atmosphere that we have because we are partnering with God in prayer, diversities of tongues on our face before the Lord, we're applying spiritual principles. We continue to dig deeper as the Spirit guides us into the truth of His Word. We We continue to teach that. We continue to um, to embrace the overarching purpose of God in his timing. And we, as the Spirit directs, we, we press forward in grace into the new. We're going to face opposition, but we're also going to be experience a deeper measure of his, the atmosphere of his glory. So when it says you bear one another's atmosphere, then every person should bear their own atmosphere, it's just basically saying, hey, this really has nothing to do with work. This has to do with how you're functioning in the atmosphere God gives you, and you hope that people will stay in that place. You, how do you help somebody else do the work? I mean, let me rephrase. How do you help somebody else to bear the atmosphere? 
Well, in the first place, you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing that welcomes this atmosphere of his glory. That's the first thing. Secondly, you remain faithful to that pursuit as an individual. Nothing, listen to me, momentum and peer pressure are essential in endeavors in hum, throughout humanity. Peer pressure and momentum. Courage is contagious. Um, the willingness to stand strong as an example is invaluable. And the best way you can help somebody else is by being faithful yourself because at the end, every one of you have to do what you have to do to remain in the atmosphere that God gives. And it is work to abide in that atmosphere. It's not just like being Mr. Conference, going from one glory spout to the next or staying addicted to the internet to hear what extreme teaching is out there from here to there. Stay in your own field. Stay with the Lord. Do what he's asked you to do. Bear that atmospheric responsibility in the kingdom. Let's just spell it out. What's the formula for a spiritual atmosphere? Well, we've just said it, but let's recount it. You are committed to the things of God. You are seeking the depth of the riches of his wisdom and understanding. You are then applying that wisdom and understanding in obedience to what God is asking you to do for him. You are welcoming that point of commune and the willingness to be instructed by him so that you can be trained to be what he wants you to be as a son. And the more you are doing that, the more responsibility he gives you and the more that he can show you. People that have not been paying attention really don't do a good job with a new assignment. People that screwed up royally on their last test, if they don't correct and tutor themselves into an understanding where will foul the next test because it's built line upon line. And so the more you do for the Lord, the more you learn, the more he entrusts to you, and and he, he will give you that measure of responsibility in depicting what he's trying to do in the world at this point, according to his timing. That is an expression of his glory. That welcomes his glory. But if you look on things that are temporal and you start wondering, why is that person doing this? That used to only be mine. Um, God, why are you doing this through them? You know, you're not paying attention to me as much. They're getting attention. I'm not getting it. Nobody ever pays attention to me. Well, guess what? The greatest among you will be the servant of all. And the best leaders are the ones who facilitate and make things possible for the team to win. You know, I've noticed from sports that that um, dynasties are made up with talented people, lots of people that do well, and they work together to win. What destroys a dynasty? When people don't do what was necessary to reach the top in the last season. And then their commitment levels there, their training is not there, and they lose. Or a prima donna arises who says, I'm not getting enough attention. Somebody else is getting more than me. Get me out of here. Or they become a locker room problem. That's just the truth.
You even see this in the music industry back in the day when there used to be groups. They'll crank out hits and then all of a sudden, somebody's getting more attention than me. My music is never put forward and that's why my songs aren't hits. But the group itself moved forward and then once that jealousy competition comes it splits the fabric of the team and suddenly that group is no more bear one another's burden you bear your burden this is this is really high level stuff and it's so simple to understand but so difficult to do and the enemy is right there trying to bring that division trying to bring that strife trying to bring that confusion trying to bring that competition trying to bring that wearing out where you stop doing what you're supposed to do now we saw through the words of Jesus the Thyatira that the the recruiting of young people, the recruiting for the world, uh, is uh, is being done in conjunction with the bathos of Satan and progressive teaching of that, and um, that creates its own spiritual atmosphere. Now, how can the enemy do that? How can the enemy create an atmosphere? Well, number one, we have to remember that the enemy and those that fell with him were all given capacities and anointings and understandings by God before they rebelled. Secondly, every person on earth, the reason they have life is because of the deposit of the, of, of the Spirit within them. They have giftings. They have purpose. And they turn that over for the service of the enemy. It's a competition. In the enemy camp, I will be like the Most High. He meant it. And that creates a framework. And then you've got human belief. You've got momentum. People follow momentum. You've got peer pressure. Why aren't you doing this? What's wrong with you? Through my high school years, I saw kids do absolutely idiotic things because other people were doing it. They wanted to feel accepted. And it's, it's, it's the way it is right now. Um, the style, the in thing. We've seen this in genres of activity, even in our lifetimes. And, you know, um, you add that into the spiritual environment and it creates an atmosphere. But we have the eternal and we have the exceeding riches of the depths of God. We have wisdom and understanding from the. We have the Word of God. We have been granted uh, by the Spirit the privilege of being guided into things that had not been seen in the Word that now are being revealed. Pneumaticos understandings. We have responsibilities before the throne at the right hand of God. We we have been entrusted with the message of the saints, which is a heightened responsibility of God's glory because the saints message is basically about how to bring people in alignment with the word of God into their eternal purpose to serve God in his it's basically a recruitment into partnership with God and into partnership with his glory making disciples in that way And my has the enemy attacked that. Now, I'm not going to dwell on it. You want to talk about a buffeting. There it is. 
So I ask, where are you today? Are you continuing to be committed to the things that God has taught us from his word? Are you faithful to seek him? Are you faithful when nobody else is around, when it's not cool to do it, when nobody else is looking to press in and know him in that atmosphere of understanding? Why is understanding so important in the glory? Because our Father wants to train us, teach us. For him, it's about the journey. We are to make disciples because that's what our Father is doing. We want to be Christ-like. Learn of me. That's what the Father does. That's why the unsearchable riches of his wisdom, his understanding. So, let's recognize where we are in, in this world Let's very clearly see that the enemy is trying to emulate and do these very things. We see them, we're aware of it, but we're not going to let our pursuit of that keep us from doing the essential thing. I speak blessing over you today. I pray that the Lord will be near you in a very intimate manner. And that you will open yourself to him, spend time with him, and be encouraged. We are serving the best by far. Our God is over all things. And he loves you. So spend time with him. And may God bless you. You're in this world. You're not of it. We'll look forward to spending time again together real soon. Until that time, God bless you and goodbye.